Hi again, everybody. It's me, JR Man. Welcome to your Life's Work podcast. You are on day 13 of my social media fast. How you doing? Are you good? Are you happy? Are things just so pleasant in your life that you feel like pinching yourself and like happy juice will run off all over the floor? Are you? Are you there? Hey, today on the big social media, social fast, day 13 uh, episode of the big podcast of Your Life's Work, we're talking to Giovanni or Gio. Uh, he met President Obama and he's got a story about it. He also works at one of the greatest television stations in the country. He's also a leader in digital media and he's got stuff to say. And he's a millennial and we'll listen to him because he's got stuff going on. Not that we don't like millennials, but we do like millennials. Millennials need mentorship and spiritual direction for the record. So all you millennial people, I'm all in. Hey, I'm JR, JRman.com, M-A-H-O-N. I'm JR at JRman.com. I'm a spiritual director, mentor. I love you, man. That's all there is to it. I help have those big, hard conversations sometimes. Like sometimes your relationships are all mucked. I'm all in on that. Sometimes your, 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 your position at work is dead ending. I'm all about helping you there. Um, I love you. You're, you're the best, and we want good things for you. So here's Gio. I'll talk to you on the other side. Count to, uh, count to like, a lot. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, six, yeah. Seven. Oh, yeah. Eight, nine. Oh, yeah. Ten, oh, yeah. Eleven. Yeah. Twelve. <laughs> Did you ever wonder why? We require the count when checking a mic. Has that ever been a thing, or are you just like, yeah, whatever? They want to count, we count. I mean, I was always told that if you ask for the count, you're being lazy and you should start asking questions. Oh, dude, great storytelling technique number one by Giovanni. Start asking questions go. instead of having people count to get the whole interview going. That's good. That's good, Gio. Just saying, I learned from the best, right? <laughs> um, how you doing? I'm good. I'm doing well. Um, all right, so this is my friend Gio. We are recording, by the way. Okay. Um, Gio, Giovanni. Uh, well, tell everybody where you live. What do you do? So I'm in L.A. now, and I work for a news station up in Los Angeles. And before that... I was in San Diego, born and raised in San Diego, and started my news career down there at a very young age. San Diego? Started your news career in San Diego? Yes. You're a San Diego Diego native, right? Yes. Born and raised. Yeah. Born and raised. So then the last six years of my life, I've been in L.A. Four of those have been for school, for college, and the other two have been working on the digital team at the television station, doing anything from Instagram to 360 video to, I mean, you name it. If it's something new, it's something fresh, I got to figure out, you know, how, how can we make this work for news? How can we make this work for, for local media? Yeah. And not just any television station. I mean, you're at the amazingly successful KTLA, baby. That, that, that's, you know, I'm, I'm told that that is uh, what we are. yeah and you're you're a part of that um okay so but before we get into that like one of my you know what i've been part of this 40-day exercise for me is like allowing people or letting people i'm not allowing anything is is letting people into my little world of the people around me that i just cherish and love you're one of them for the record um you and i meet 
uh, I'm building a television station in San Diego, uh, and all of a sudden, a what were you, 16 or 17-year-old kid walking out of my office? I was 17 at the time looking to, to basically get started. Yeah. So, I mean, the point is, is you were still in high school. <laughs> oh, yeah. So imagine, if you will, um, I'm in my mid-40s. I'm the uh, news director, program director of a $5 million startup. I'm busy, hired 60 people inside of 90 days. And in, <laughs> and I always laugh at this, in comes a 17-year-old kid wanting a job. What was your, I mean, t- tell everybody about that experience real quick. Well, I mean, I was the kind of guy where, especially when I was in high school, I wasn't really that great at taking no for an answer. So um, I kind of came in thinking, well, there might be, you know, there's got there's got to be something that you can put a high schooler uh, to work too. And, you know, when you're in high school, it's very complicated to work for a larger company. There's all these papers and whatever and all this stuff. And so I, I, I get in touch with a few people at the UT. I say, hey, I'm you know, really interested and been doing photography and yada, yada, yada. And they're like, well, I don't really have any newsroom internships right now. And you're in high school. But there's this thing called UTTV. Uh, that that we're starting and and yeah maybe maybe they might want somebody to do something. I was like okay, well you know like can I can I show up? Can I can I come over? Can I check this thing out? And after a couple conversations, I finally got to that point. So here I am now, getting into the building for the first time, <laughs> going up the elevators, right and. And, for, and let me stop yeah. you. And, and, and just let me stop yeah. you. And for the record, like, I really want people to understand, like, the gravity of this. Like, this is the San Diego Union Tribune, which is no small slice of a newspaper in the country. In fact, it's a it was it's a pretty big pop. I mean, it's a pretty big publication with yeah. like people who have been there for 30, 40 years and up the elevator comes 17 <laughs> year old Giovanni. Yeah, <laughs> that was me. Um, so here I am looking at this redhead guy and you know he's walking with like three or four other guys and i'm like oh this guy's this guy's a big deal wherever he is i don't know who he is yet but he's a big deal so this you know hr guy at the time Corey, um you know he tells me hey that that's the guy that's that's jr whatever that's who you're going to want to talk to i'm like okay so i go into your office and i you know the conversation you're immediately looking at me like, okay, who is this kid? And and I'm like, well, you know, I really, I really want to do something here. I'm really interested in this in this TV stuff and whatever. And, and you're and you're like, can you work? And I said, well, uh, we're kind of figuring that out right now. Come back to me when you have papers. Get out of my office. Because <laughs> you you literally, I mean, there was a thing that said oh, California man is crazy. Like you literally couldn't work. <laughs> Seventeen in California, it's very difficult. You have to get, you know, you have to get this vocational work experience papers. You got to be like enrolled in a school that allows that. I mean, it's it's really complicated. So I had to do some pretty crazy stuff on the school district side to get it to work on paper. So sure enough, I get all that to work. I come back, and then you're like, okay, when, when can you start? I said, I, I, I think I said today. Yeah, you were like, and I can I, do, I can start now. <laughs> 
I can start now, and you're like, all right, let's go. And and that was it. And that was it. And that was it. The and and, and I, what I love about it, dude, is because I saw so much of me in you, and I don't mean to say that you are me at all, but it's this uh, because you're far more intelligent than I am. The um nah, the but this passion that you had had absolutely no boundaries, and I I love as much, dude, as like we have those jokes about the well jokes about those stories of me kicking you out of my office <laughs> we also yeah. we also have these amazing stories that your passion has led you to now being top of your game um in in you know arguably the best television market in the world and only a year like how well, okay so fa- so fast forward so giovanni worked with me at the UTTV and did amazing and great work and became uh, just an unbelievable storyteller and a digital leader. Um, and he is a digital leader now as far as uh, television goes. And we'll get into that. But you, so here's another amazing part of the story. So not only did you have that experience at 17 where you're like working for your first television slash newspaper slash digital environment, but then you get out of college and where most people in your class or in your own circumstance around the country would have to go to market, you know, 72 to get your first TV job. You end up getting a job. Like how many months out of college were you when you started working for KTLA? None. (laughs) So you, so this, this is the great thing about you. So you graduate diploma, not even dry yet. And you're walking in to one of, again, arguably one of the best newsrooms in the country. Um, And they're like, yeah, (laughs) come work for us. You know, it, it was a it was an interesting process. Obviously, you know, it wasn't it, it didn't just happen overnight. But I was it was kind of a, a happenings of many things coming together at once uh, that made it work. It was the right timing. It was the right skill set. It was the right um, you know time in journalism. I mean, everything kind of came together to make that work, and and it did. And within within a month of graduating here I was, you know, now working in Hollywood, um, and, and pursuing the next stage of my career. And I didn't, I didn't have much downtime, but that was, you know, who needs downtime when you get an opportunity like that? Yeah. Do you see in your own personal life, any limitations to your passion or, because I know some people do, like some people will come to me and they'll want to work out you know, particularly as I mentor folks, they want to work out that passion, but they see limitations. Have you ever, and I mean this sincerely, have you ever seen a limitation in your passion? You know, I've, I've, there've been times where I've questioned it and I've kind of had to step back and go, okay, why am I questioning it? And oftentimes it's because other people in my life, whether it be superiors, whether it be people I look up to, whatever it is, have a way of, uh, kind of boxing in the passion. And I think that is where you have to realize, okay, is this me losing passion or is this me being constrained by some force other than me? And now it's time for me to realize that and break through it. That's good. So yeah, so that, be, that I think is what it comes down to. Yeah. Because you've always been super self-aware and I, and having met your father and your mother, I know that's been a great piece of their teaching to you is to have that self-awareness that says, yo, what's ever happening inside of you? Let's, let's go get it. Um, and that's a fantastic piece. So, okay. So before we get really launched into, 
uh, talking about digital because we only do 30 minutes on the big podcast and we're 11 minutes in. I want to real quickly touch base with your story about you meeting President Obama because this also speaks to who you are and the way you live your life. So you had occasion to meet President Obama. How old were you when you met Obama? I believe I was still 17 at the time. Yeah. And so what did they do? They asked like all, all was it like a good student thing or, or, or fill out the story there? Yeah, so like very briefly, you know, there's this program in, in California and actually in every state except for Hawaii called Boys State. The American Legion, which is one of the largest veteran uh, organizations in the country, puts on this program. And particularly in California, there's about a thousand people who attend from all over the state. So you kind of represent your little area. Um, so I went to this program. It was a simulated government program. You, you ran for office. You did all this crazy stuff. It was like the real deal. Um, over the course of a week. And during that week, I apparently, you know, I did uh, well enough and made enough of an impact where I was one of two chosen uh, to attend a national program called Boys Nation. And it was at that program that not every year doesn't always work out because the timing has to be right. You can't, you know, the president can't be in a meeting, the president can't be whatever. But this particular year was one of those years where on a certain day, we got a chance to go to the White House and not just get a tour, but actually have a moment with the president. So, I mean, what's that like? Oh, here he comes. Like, what do you do? Like, I, like again, like, I don't care what people think of president or not think of president. Like, wh- whatever. I mean, you're still meeting the president of the United States. What's going on in you? Yeah. I mean, I, I still say to this day that, that that moment and more sort of the symbolism of that moment is still probably in the top three moments of my life. Wow. Um, and, and, and it's more than just because I met President Obama. It's because here I was getting to a point where I could meet a president and have a conversation with a president, which for me uh, kind of was a confirmation that everything I had done up until that point was like almost like worth it, you know? <laughs> right. And, and, and uh, so it was just – it was crazy. I mean it was really um, – I was kind of at a loss for words at first, and I remember I got a chance towards the end of our group conversation. He was going around hand, giving handshakes to people, giving what we call bro hugs. Right, right. right. And here he is being like totally fly, and I go up to him and I give him a handshake. And he's like, uh, "So you're the senator from California?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's pretty blue state. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, he's cracking jokes and joking around. He's like, all right, you know, use that leadership for something good. And, you know, then we watch him fly off in Marine One because he was it was during an election well, year. Well, that's cool. And, and and that was it, man. And, and But that left, uh, you know, a, I don't know what you call it, like a stamp on me almost. And it, it, it fueled me going through college knowing that, like, yeah, I was that guy. You know, like I was... I was good enough for that. And I think that gave me a lot of confidence to tackle some bigger challenges later on. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt knowing your, well, not only, you know, in your history with me and, and how you've moved through the media business and now with KTLA and, and what you do. Okay. So, all right, well, that's fantastic. And I always thought that I remember meeting you and I remember you telling me that story and I can remember you leaving the office and I just looked at everybody on my staff and went, Hey, uh, just so you know, uh, nobody else in this office has met a uh, president, so let's n- make that happen, please. <laughs> so, I, I mean, that was a big thing. Okay, so present day. So uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about you is the state of 
journalism, and again, like I mean, we can immediately start going to start talking about Trump and the and the and the oppositional forces that that sit out there or not sit out there. But who who cares about that? Um, what I really want to do is I want to talk about the state of journalism when it comes to digital storytelling and how people are getting information and how that's circulating and, and really get a good, clear picture of what you're seeing and what you're doing and where you think the future's going. Uh, because every single one of us is now probably in the 95 and upward percentile receiving our information in some kind of digital platform that is small, contained in a, an alert of some kind, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter, but this is the changing landscape and this is your generation. And frankly, you're one of the big leaders in the country doing this. So bring us up to date, give us a snapshot of what you're seeing digitally, as far as the information push. And if you can, like, you know, is it, is it because everybody's got this big thing about fake news? I mean, you know, I mean, where are you in all of that? And I know that's a big question, but just bring us up to date digitally on how people are getting their information today. Well, I mean, I think 2019 is, is going to be, I mean, I could say where we are today, but I think it's, it's going to even change just in the next year. I mean, 2019 is going to be a huge year for regulation in terms of the talks that are happening, whether social media and, and social platforms are going to be regulated. Um, if that happens in any form, the implications on the news industry are huge, and we have really yet to realize what those look like. So that's future planning. We can't do that, right? We can only think about today, what we see today, the data we see today, and using that data to make informed decisions. Right. And the data today tells us that social media is becoming less and less of a powerful force for traditional journalism, right? So before, you could post a link, you know, your link, if it was you were a reputable news outlet, would get seen by, you know, 500,000 people. And, you know, you would get some ad revenue and all this good stuff, and that's how you made money. Well, now, you're lucky if that same story gets 100,000 or 50,000. And, you know? uh, and that's because there's so much choice now? That's just there's so much choice now. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to choice. It comes down to algorithm changes, you know, whether they're going to, whether, let's say, Facebook is going to prioritize news or not. Um, and again, these are all things that as a news outlet, you can't really control. So what I think is happening is more and more outlets are kind of taking back the content and making it so, you know, uh, for instance, push alerts are a big one. So we, we see, we've seen a you know, huge rise of push alerts and push alert strategies. And, and that's taking back the content. That's and a push alert, a push alert is, I mean, here's what a push alert is, right? And, and, and help me with this. Somebody writes a story um, or there's a breaking news story. You have opted in on the app or the notification on your phone. And then, boom, it goes right. out digitally. You guys send out a, a little beep. It hits your phone. You go read the story. Exactly. So it's a concise way of kind of giving you what that news is. Um, some people would call it glance journalism because at the end of the day, you may literally just look at the alert, but hopefully it's enough to kind of inform you about something. And then we hope, of course, you would click on the alert and read the full story. So we're seeing a lot of that. But again, that's us owning the content. That's a news outlet owning the content. That's all internal, whereas social media, you know, it's up to them. So um, real briefly, I think it's important to talk about the pivot to video. And we both know what this is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Give everybody that snapshot. Yeah. 
this is, I think, really important into understanding where we are today. So five years ago, or a little bit longer than that, outlets made a huge pivot to video. And what I mean by that is not your broadcast outlets necessarily, but your traditional print medium um, and, and sort of experimental outlets made a huge pivot to video. Why? And the, and the idea was, the, the big idea was everybody's going to be consumed with video on smaller uh, digital devices. That was the idea. That was the idea, right? So, and, and, and to, in terms of consumer habits, the idea was right. I mean, people are. I mean, I think, I don't know the exact number. I think it probably varies outlet to outlet, but a large proportion, a majority of people consume media on their phone. So what happened was, is this pivot to video happened. Everybody started allocating resources to it, hiring video producers like none other. And then, you know, several years later, the money wasn't coming in. And people were starting to look at each other and go, well, you know, we're doing what we're supposed to do. Everybody wants to consume this kind of content, yada, yada, yada. And what outlets started to realize is there was a little bit of a false promise here that pivoting to video would be the end all be all to being a successful news organization. <laughs> right. So, because it so became, then, because, and let me use an example real quick, if I can stop right. you, like it turns yeah. out the most popular, the most popular pieces of video, let's say on YouTube are that fail army stuff, because it turns out that video can be so carnal when you watch it, that it doesn't necessarily have to be a news story, which is whatever, what the assumption was on platforms like newspapers or anybody that wasn't doing video that of course everybody will be all in if we do some story on the city council with video and no they just wanted to see grandma get hit in the head with a soccer ball (laughs) right so you started to see the rise of viral outlets you know like buzzfeed and whatnot but anyways i think the, the concluding point to that is the problem is we found out what consumers wanted but we won we're at the mercy of algorithms and other outlets defining what our worth was. And two, there was no ad strategy for this. Yeah. There was no money-making strategy for this. So what happened was, I think probably a couple years ago, and it's still happening today, massive layoffs. Massive layoffs in, in the journalism uh, world, particularly with those video-producing roles um, because they just were you know, costing companies like crazy amounts of money and they were never making a return on that investment. Yeah. And the, the, I can remember these conversations in newsrooms. Like I can even remember going back to my days at, in Cleveland at KYC, the NBC there. And it was like, here was the thought. The thought was get first, it was get your website up and running. This is the days before Facebook. So we had to get our website up and running. We had to get the video on the website, but then Facebook hit and it was like, oh my gosh, what's our strategy for Facebook? No one knew. Well, at least get an account. And then it moved into the mid 2000s. And it was like, if you don't have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as a news, like, so you're right. So we tried to marry ourselves to other platforms and really divorced ourselves from what we were really holding on as our own content. Yes, exactly. And I think that's where we are today with digital news is you have companies scarred by the last few years of that kind of stuff. Now they're hesitant in investing in new platforms or new media, which we're seeing a lot because the question that always comes up now is not what are people watching? It's how do we make money? Yeah, and and, and where are people getting it? Because you know, to right. I mean, at the end of the day, you're right. Like, dude, I consume. I can remember conversations that was like somebody would laugh at you if you said you got your news on Facebook, and now it's like. 
that's where ninety percent of people are getting it. Yeah, and and it's it's this is where you get into the fake news argument, which is what you brought up as well, which is because so many people are consuming information on Facebook, you now have opened the flood doors for a bunch of you know really small outlets or not outlets at all, just you know hackers or whatever trying to put spam out into the world and the user, the audience, um, you know, people like us, and they're not, not, not like us necessarily because we're journalists. We've been in this world for, for a while, but you know, nobody is taught in school media literacy, right? So nobody's taught, okay, this, this is, this is not reputable. This should be fact check. This, this is how you look for fake news or not fake news, whatever. So people are just consuming information, and if it looks cool and it sounds good, yeah, it's and five good. of your friends are sharing it, oh, then it must be real. And this is where we have, where we've gotten ourselves now today in the landscape of what you're hearing on TV is no one knows anymore. And when I say no one, I mean uh, a large part of, of, of you know social media consumers, not everyone. But no one knows what is real and what is fake. So yeah, it's tough. that is where us as journalists have to say, okay, where are your reputable outlets? What are the outlets that you've trusted for years and years and years? And this is why you see a rise in companies like the New York Times and Washington Post, people gravitating to traditional establishment companies and those companies now having the resources to devote to all this new media and you know you see the LA Times now with what they're what they're hoping to do with new media and you know 10 years ago I don't think the average person would have thought that innovation would be happening from a newspaper no no but, my gosh no we you know sure enough that's yeah, go. where the innovation is yeah I, I can remember holding my phone up in, in staff meetings and going yo we need to be concentrating here and for those of you who are thinking that, you know, you're going to go beat report and take some notes and then come back in the afternoon after a lunch and then write a story and then hit deadline at, you know, five, either you're going live or you're going to print, you're idiots because I need you to tweet before you go into the meeting. I need you to tweet during the meeting. And then I need a summation at the end of the meeting and then you're done. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, you know, not, I mean, it's just changed so much. Okay. So with the time remaining, give me an idea of where we're going. Like, what do you see? And again, you're in your twenties, you're in LA, you're top of your game. You're, you're a leader in the industry without a doubt. No doubt your, your future is crazy bright. Where are you going? Where's a guy like you producing in like 10 years? And I don't mean you personally. I'm just like, what's the business producing in like, well, let's just, let's just say three years. Go three years out. Where are we? I think it's going to be big time dictated by where consumer trends are in the social space. So for instance, if 360 video or virtual reality becomes a thing that people are doing to play video games. And then those people are now, it's become a part of their daily lives to interact with a medium in that way. Well, then that gives incentives for more and more companies to start building out news programming on those devices. Okay. So let's, so let's, let's iron that thought out. So here's, here's what you're saying. You're saying 
like let's take Fortnite for example. So Fortnite right. on fire like is just like crazy. So you're saying if if let's say that like and we'll just use crazy numbers. So if like seventy percent of a demographic population is using Fortnite every single day. It behooves any news or journalism organization or information pushing organization to now jump on that Fortnite platform and start pushing information through it. Sure. And I think even just from a content perspective, esports is on the rise. You know, more and more companies, I know the LA Times, for instance, wants to even get more engrossed with, you know, esports coverage. And that, I think, is where journalism is going to be for the next three to five years. I think you're, the, the companies that can pivot the trends and see a trend that's going to stay versus a trend that's only, you know, hype, that's another thing. And, I, you know, we could have a whole other conversation about it, but there are a lot of trends out there that do not last. We know that. So the trick is, as an organization, how do we make sure we devote enough resources to take a trend seriously but not too many where if the trend goes falls out yeah. or goes away yeah. that we're going to have to make a bunch of uh, layoffs and, and fire people. Yeah, and that's and I think I think that's where broadcast thinking or print thinking uh, becomes an important thing to understand because I mean, listen, uh, broadcast outlets, I mean, they're selling time with, with when they turn on the pipe in the morning and they blast their morning show out for six hours. Like everybody always asks me, like, why does a morning show do six hours? I'm like, well, it's, it's not because everybody thinks it's a great time. <laughs> it's because we're selling airtime at some, at some level. So that kind of conservative thinking about how to sell the medium becomes in play when you hit those trends. But it doesn't take away from your point, which I really want people to understand, which is technically the technology that's involved right now in your everyday life is how companies like wherever you gravitate and wherever you're spending time when it comes to receiving information is where like Geo's bosses or Geo need to be thinking every day because that's where it's moving. And you and I have seen this. I mean, crap, when I met you seven years ago or however long it was, like I can remember, you know, thinking like we're maybe a little ahead of the time because people still haven't embraced the phone as the major piece that that is going to move information. But also I need producers behind the phone, which means that everybody needs to understand that this thing's locked and loaded and here to stay. Exactly. Oh, Gio, look at us solving problems, just (laughs) figuring stuff out. Anyways, listen, we're 30 minutes into it. Uh, Part of this exercise is beyond just checking in and saying hello and and seeing what you're up to and what you're doing and knowing you. But I just want you to know, man, you have been a massive part of, of, of my life. I appreciate you so much. I love your passion. I love I've learned through you that passions don't necessarily need limitations or boundaries. <laughs> and I love the fact that I know your mom. I love the fact that I know your dad. Like, I love the fact that your dad came over and sat with us at the fire one night. And, dude, you have no idea how much I appreciate when you drive down from L.A. and go see your folks and you stop in and, and say hello. But, dude, I love you. Um, you've been a part of my journey. Um, I've so enjoyed and I'm so proud of you. Like, you have no idea how proud I am of you and what you do every day. And it, it, it brings me to tears at times to really think about how you've just launched out there. So, dude, I just want to encourage you and just say, man, I love you so much and I appreciate your time today. I, I appreciate the time too and the feelings all mutual. I mean, ultimately it's these conversations and, and having somebody that 
really understands where things are going and where, you know, there are things that can be filled in my life and how I can go ahead and do those things. That's all of what you've been able to do over the last, I guess now almost seven years of each other, each of us knowing each other. So um, it's wild that time flies like that, but it's been worth every minute. And I'm just so glad we've managed to stay in contact like we have. You're the man, buddy. We'll talk soon. I love you. <laughs> love you too. Giovanni, uh, good people. Um, he's the man. We love him very much. Uh, so grateful to have him in my life. Um, if you got any questions about uh, digital media, or you're in the digital digital digital, you're in the digital media business, and you want to talk to a guy like Gio, I can get you a hold of him. Hit me at jr at jrman.com. That's m a h o n.com. If you need a spiritual director, mentor. Uh, I'm your guy. You can call me uh, day or night. Uh, day 14 tomorrow. Um, look forward to it. If, 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 there's like a big snowstorm going around the country right now, so I hope you're safe. Thank you for being a part of my passion. I love you guys very much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.